3: I'm Paul
2: New. And I'm Colleen Sterling. Welcome to Ask the ANPs from AOPA.
3: On Ask the ANPs, we tackle your toughest maintenance questions. So if you have a question, reach out to us at podcasts at AOPA.org.
0: And if you like the show, make sure to follow or subscribe so you never miss an episode.
3: And if you'd like to get on our email list to receive our monthly newsletter and weekly maintenance stories, the easiest way to do that is to grab your cell phone and text the word SAVVY, that's S-A-V-V-Y, to 33777, and our bot will ask you for your email address and add you to our list. Again, text S-A-V-V-Y to 33777 to get on the list.
2: And before we start today, I've got an exciting quick announcement. We're doing our first live show this year at Oshkosh. It'll be at the AOPA tent along the flight line on Tuesday morning. Please plan to come join us and see the show live.
0: I am thrilled about doing that and scared to, to my wits at the same time.
3: <laughs> <Why>? <laughs> what, what, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah, seriously. Oh, wow. That's the question I always ask about maintenance. You, the guy that gives all
2: these performances and talks, and uh, why are you scared?
0: Well, so, by the way, you're both welcome, because if it wasn't for me giving these really off answers, you guys would just look like another couple of geniuses. I have elevated the two of you.
2: We'd be bored to a
0: level like never before.
4: Oh, I so feel are, so are, elevated. Are you, are you saying that you play
3: the role of the
0: foil? Yeah, <laughs> the, the, foil. the yeah. fool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, shh, jeez, Paul. It's it's such a natural thing for me to do that. You know, it's like I do what you do best all the time. So I, I always buy high and sell low because I'm so good at it. <laughs> oh, so, you know, consistent.
2: I can hear the violence. Yeah, it was so <laughs> sad. <laughs> It's going it, to be fun. It, it, it is going to be fun. a lot hey, of fun.
3: I I, I got yeah. an exciting announcement. I I I've finished my annual inspection except for it's been so windy I haven't actually taken the airplane out to do the the test flight but
2: How But I actually,
3: you I actually I actually got off? the engines kept, um <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. N- so, no, I actually oops.
3: I I probably will will wait until I at least run up the engines because oh, yeah. uh, we we did hang hang four mags four, on there and it's
2: possible mags, that maybe
0: yeah. we
3: screwed it up although they seem to time out okay. You must
2: you be did, pretty good at mags by now after four <laughs> in a row.
0: <laughs> you did four all at the same time?
2: Yeah,
3: four four mags, oh. 24 spark plugs.
0: Yeah. Oh, did, really? That's did expensive. All four mags come from the same source?
3: I well, I sent them to Aero Accessories and uh, and I's. Yeah. They're
0: they're wonderful. I'm I'm one of those I I'm just a little uh I don't know that I would want to replace all, all four, four magnetos yeah. at the same time. Yeah. You know, for fear that there's some little something that
3: You know, that's funny because I, I
0: think about it. I've always done
3: that. I've always done the 500 hours on all four mags. At I, once. I, I used, I used to do yeah. it myself.
2: My wallet can't take that. And then I, and then I got, then I got <laughs> lazy
3: and I started sending them out because I figured they can probably do a better job than I can, but
2: yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. They were and great. I, actually, I, I, used
3: used to, I used to, I used to, I used to, clean my own spark plugs but cleaning 24 spark plugs can get real old so i I,
2: <laughs> I clean and gap and measure my own spark plugs it's kind of um therapeutic for me to sit down with my little blaster and pick the stuff out and look yeah, at them we- and measure the resistances and i write it all down like a little analyst it's great
0: <laughs> as you are
2: it's very relaxing play some music have a beer or it's a car a- beverage
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, us don't recommend that no nah. <laughs> yeah
2: Our first question is from Adam, who is still busy cleaning up the puddle of oil under his glass air Sportsman. <laughs> Go
1: ahead, Adam. Thanks. So basically, I, uh, I got my newly overhauled prop back at the hangar, installed <laughs> it, I, uh, and within an hour of installing, it it failed. I took it out for a half hour, did some touch and goes within Gladys, is The airport, great. Next day, I started it up and instantly my aircraft was sprayed with oil. Uh, at least the oil was uh, relatively clean. The question is, what do I do now? I don't have any confidence in the overhaul shop to redo it. I'm planning on sending it to the manufacturer's facility. It's a German prop. There's uh, representation in the U.S. The question is, you know, who do I report this to? What are the expectations I have of the overhaul company, which did not do a competent job of uh, repairing the prop? Do I have any recourse? Who pays for all this? I mean, I had to get my aircraft professionally detailed to get all the oil off it. Uh, Guide me, please, in how I approach this, because I'm just clueless.
0: Do we even know yet what the cause was? Have you removed the propeller?
1: The propeller has been removed, and uh, we crated it up and sent it down to uh, MT's uh, U.S. representation. But they have not responded with the...
0: but you know that it's the propeller that was the source of the leak, not the connection between the propeller and the crankshaft?
1: Correct. Uh, my, the, my A, the AMPU installed it, uh, took it out, and said so the, the seal basically inside the prop had failed. So correct. And, the, and which, you can see oh, – carry on. Sorry, Paul. Well, which, which seal? The answer is I don't know. We did the overhaul because there was a little weeping around the uh, seals of the individual blades. But my impression was it was the main seal between the uh, at the crankshaft just because the amount of oil which sprayed out was uh, tremendous. And the spinner was full.
2: If the seal had been installed incorrectly on the prop, wouldn't it fail immediately when you apply oil pressure?
0: No. So it depends. And I've seen them installed various different ways. There's a seal and... I don't know this exact propeller, but typically there's a seal inside the propeller that slides over the flange of the crankshaft, and that seals. And if it's torn or something, you can have oil blown by, so it can be damaged during installation. It can also sometimes, if someone's not paying attention, this sounds crazy, uh, but we've seen one where the O-ring was slid over the crankshaft flange And then the propeller was installed, and they torqued it all down. Well, with that extra rubber in between, the torques didn't hold. And within less than an hour, the propeller tries to liberate itself from the engine, and the attach bolts are broken and all kinds of things. So it was just interesting. A failure of the seal on the shaft is not necessarily a failure of the propeller.
3: I, 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 I predict... And I might be wrong about this, that, that, that you're going to send this prop back and they're not going to find anything wrong with it. Yeah. <laughs> because it, it, lo- it looked to me like an installation issue, not not, yeah. not a propeller issue.
0: Yeah. I think it's the seal inside the propeller that slides over the crankshaft flange.
3: Yeah. Because the, o- the only other oil seal is the O-ring that's around the piston in the dome.
0: Yeah. And that but doesn't exit.
2: <laughs> exactly. Well, um, we would love to hear what they find on that prop, Adam, when they Absolutely. when they eventually um, yeah. do the forensics on it. So um, please, you know, write us back and let us know. But thank you for the question. It's an interesting question. And unfortunately, people from time to time are in that situation and they don't know what to do. So uh, it's a good discussion. Great. Thanks very much. Thanks. Bye
0: bye. Bye bye. Our next question is from Mike, who's looking uh, to make his unleaded future happen a bit sooner than the rest of us. What do you got for us, Mike?
5: Well, uh, I bought a Cessna 150 with a 150 horsepower upgrade. So it's the Lycoming 0320 E2D. And uh, the, the guy that sold it to me, who who I respect, he's an A&P IA. He's, he's an older gentleman. He's 80. And he told me don't get this auto gas STC. Uh, Lycoming never approved it and it's hard. I think he told me it was hard on the valves. And But I have a friend who's got a, a 150 150 who swears by his auto gas STC. And when I look in, I think it's a Lycoming manual from maybe 2006, it, it specifically says that other grades of fuel, as well as auto gas, are not authorized or, or I, I'm not sure of the wording. But uh, so I have a problem with that. I would like the autogas STC, but something's bothering me when, you know, the manufacturer says, don't do this. And so I want to see <laughs> what your guys thought <laughs> were on it.
3: Well, hey, are you stationary or are
5: you moving? I'm so sorry. I'm uh I'm in my car on my way to Houston. I'm trying to hold my phone. It's still as <laughs> Oh, he's no, no,
3: speeding. no. That's, that's not what I asked, because I was going to ask you to write something down, but it may be difficult for you to do
0: that. You may have to pull over. Oh, he's looking what, backwards. Oh, wait, I don't I was, think he's actually what, moving at the moment. What I,
3: that was what I was asking. I was going to suggest <laughs> that, you, that, that you write down the following. Lycoming Service Instruction 1070- the current, the current, it's been amended a million times. The latest version is 1070 Alpha Bravo. I guess they got to Zulu and they started with Alpha Alpha. But that's the most current information from Lycoming on what fuels are approved for what engines. And um, actually, if you tell me the exact model engine you have, I'll look it up for you right now. He,
2: he says it's the E2B.
3: It's It's...
2: E2D, E2 E2D. 2 d what, What's a good the beginning
3: one. of it? Is it a... O, O320. O320 mm-hmm. E2D. Okay, I'm looking. Speak, Talk amongst yourselves.
2: 320
3: uh, <laughs> so, you know, E. The engine
2: manufacturers tell you to, not to do a lot of things, and right. we, we don't listen to them, so we can throw that in the bag. Yeah. But the STC, <laughs> that's the whole
0: function of the STC, yeah. is the STC yeah. gives you the approval to use... I don't know. A blue widget in the left wing it's instead okay, of a ground yeah, widget. Right.
3: The 0320 uh E series will run on anything other than Jack Daniel's according to this thing. It will <laughs> it will run. It will run on 100 low lead 100 VLL very low lead on 91 octane fuel on UL91 and UL94. Pretty much anything you want to put in it it's okay.
0: Not not vodka.
3: Now maybe vodka now, I don't
0: know.
3: Now now but here's here's the rub. So Lycoming says it's fine. But the issue is what does your well I was going to say your your POH but it would really be your your uh flight manual supplement say about fuel. If the flight manual supplement doesn't say 100 octane minimum then, then you're good to go. You don't need STC, you don't need anything. If the flight manual supplement says it, it needs 100 octane, even though Lycoming says 94 is fine, then you'll need to buy the Swift Fuel STC for $100 because that that, that will amend the operating limitations. But if, if you don't have an operating limitation that requires 100 octane, then then you're fine. The other thing you need to be a little cautious about is what the placards are at your fuel fillers. Because if the placards at your fuel fillers say 100 octane only, then you have to replace the placards. I think the Swift Fuel SDC provides for replacing the placards. But you may not have those placards. I don't know what happened when they did the the engine upgrade, I don't know whether they replacarded your fuel filler or, or, or not. Or they might
2: just be well, missing.
0: Is this, are we talking the autofuel or the Swift Fuel STC? Autofuel, auto auto I'm sorry. Auto oh, fuel. Either okay. way, the okay. STC this, should have all the documentation to tell you exactly how you have to modify it. Yeah, those are actually two different STCs.
3: Swift Fuel is for UL94. But the rules are the same.
2: So Mike, but Mike's concern is that his the guy that sold him the aircraft, who he respected, was the one that said, "Hey, this is really bad stuff. Don't do this." Well, and he didn't what know what he was talking about. What we're trying to say is that <laughs> I mean, the FAA usually overregulates things, right? So if there's an STC granted, then it's probably safe. It should you should feel confident that it's safe. Because they tested out the wazoo, and there, there well are I, some actually, things.
3: actually the the STC is less dispositive than the Lycoming service bulletin because a- STCs are are usually granted with kind of minimal certification and it, it's kind of a do do no harm sort of a a certification for for STCs, but Lycoming is the one that's gonna be super conservative about what fuel they they want. Lycomings to run on. So if Lycomings says okay, that's a pretty strong statement.
0: And autofuel has some additives that Avgas doesn't. You store your lawnmower at the end of the season, you come back the next season, the carburetor's all full of varnish and things. If you don't fly regularly, that can be an issue. The STC will talk about percentages of Avgas and the autofuel if I remember right, it's like 75 percent, which means every fourth tank should be avgas, or you mix it, 75, 25, something along those lines. But that's all detailed in the STC. So it's not a 100 percent avgas. I mean a 100 percent auto gas. But so
3: 94UL is, if you 94UL sure. is,
0: yeah. yes. All right. But that's what the STCs are for.
5: Hey, thank you. Thank you. Uh, put my mind at ease on this. So th- thanks for the info. Yeah.
0: All good. It's great. Engine. Yeah.
2: And you might, you might not save much uh, money if you go autogas versus uh, <laughs> <these> gas. <laughs> the Jack Daniels might be the way to go.
5: <laughs>
0: you know, finding ethanol free and all that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then trailering it around. It, it can be a pain.
0: Thanks guys. Love the yeah. show. Great question, Mike. Thanks for calling.
2: Thank you. Enjoy the plane. Our next question is from Lyle, who says he has some concerns about his oil analysis. Go ahead, Lyle.
6: Well, I I do, and then about how, I guess, power management. But first off, thanks for talking to me. I didn't ever think I'd get on here to talk to you guys. But on my oil analysis, I had the uh, a factory remand put in in a 1957 Cessna 182A, and my chrome levels were going up and they were 11 parts per million when i initially sent the the request into you guys but then i just changed the oil the other day and it's down to six and i've got about 158 hours on the unit now and i'm flying changing oil about every 35 hours but then during the annual last year i had about 120 hours on it and the uh guy that did the annual when he borescoped said that the valves look too clean and the spark plugs look too clean, and he was concerned <laughs> that I was flying it too lean because I was. So what I've done is I'll lean it out and to peak on number two cylinder because that seems to be the hottest EGT, and then I'll go till it starts running a little rough and then enrich it. Well, right where i enrich it is peak EGT, so I've been enriching it to about 20 degrees, rich a peak. And so the the book says I should be burning about 11.4 gallons per hour. Now I'm burning about 11.2, but I'm wondering, you know, if I'm flying it too rich or too lean or if that –
0: well, Lyle, prepare yourself because yeah. we're going to kind of overload you here. We're going to but... make, no, 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 don't, not let's not overload it. Well, we're going to Let's make real it
3: real simple. simple. It is. Real, you're real doing simple. It. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your leaning procedure is close to being right, but so close, but not quite. First of all, do not look at the gauge when you're leaning. Don't look at any of those numbers. Ignore them completely. Do not use EGT as a leaning reference. Lean the engine until it starts running a little rough. Richen it just enough that it starts running smooth again and not any further. And you're good. It's perfect. Um, th- this notion that your that your engine that your cylinders aren't dirty enough just cracks <laughs> me up. I mean, I I I wish that's I one, had that that's problem. One of the, <laughs> that's one of the great benefits of, of, of running you know lean peak is that everything is, stays so clean. So I, I <laughs> that's very very interesting. And the silicon levels are something you should worry about because it means dirt's getting into your engine, and the most likely place it's getting in is the carburetor heat door. So you want to check that really carefully to make sure that when the carburetor heat is off, that door is sealing completely, and otherwise, my suspicion is that the engine is is breathing some unfiltered air through through the carburetor heat door because it's not uh, closing completely
0: also that that s duct on your cowling that connects to the carb heat box that's a real problem area to get it on properly after the cowling's been reinstalled, so be sure that that's uh, connected well and sealed well. There's an AD, I don't know if it applies to your 57 model, um, but there's a seal where those connect. And it's, I don't know why it's just a one-time AD, but it should be an inspection every time the cowling comes off to be sure that seal is in place. But I, I love it on your, on when Mike explains the leaning process, which is exactly the way it's written in your uh, your pilot's manual for the airplane. I had a a 182Q, a little bit different engine. And when I leaned it that way, it was perfect. I had two cylinders, lean a peak, two cylinders at peak, and two cylinders, rich a peak. So I irritated everybody, (laughs) just, you know, the rich a peak guys didn't like it, the lean a peak guys didn't
3: like it. And and which cylinders were the cleanest? Oh, back then you didn't (laughs) (laughs) know. You don't know. (laughs) My first airplane was a 182L. And I prided myself that I could remove and replace the lower cowling all by myself. It only <laughs> took two two, hand, two hands and one foot. But I, my balance <laughs> isn't as good as it used to be. I couldn't do that
6: now.
0: That's an impressive feat.
6: <laughs> well, when yeah. I now when I let down, then you know, looking at these temperatures, the alarm goes off, and I'm not so
0: sure. Change your alarm,
6: Don't. yeah. Look at the temperature. (laughs) Yeah, really, change my lips. (laughs) Well, that's because, you know, the cylinder head temperatures on the front are run pretty cool, and on the back cylinder's hotter. But the front EGTs, when I let down, will be like 278, and the back ones will will go up to 1,500 or something. Would you just ignore that? When you guys let down... Totally ignore it. Yeah.
0: EGTs. Now, don't confuse EGT with CHT.
2: EGTs are imaginary numbers. They really aren't useful except for looking at trends. And certainly when you're letting down, I wouldn't worry about the EGTs getting too high. I mean, if a cylinder gets too lean, it'll flame out. I mean, that doesn't hurt the cylinder. It'll just start to run rough. That, and then you'll say, oh, run I need rough. more yeah. Fuel. yeah. But it's not like a CHT that's going to cause physical damage to your cylinder. High yeah, EGT's it, don't you know, damage.
3: What, what the EGT probe is measuring is, is how much energy from the fuel is being thrown out the back door and not being turned in. It's an efficiency
2: balance. measure, right? It,
3: it's, <laughs> it, 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 it's, just, it's just totally a, a measure of wasted heat. It It is not a measure of stress on the engine in any way, shape, or form.
6: So if you were me, then the main thing with the with the cht and egt gauge is to just make sure the chts don't get too hot is that mainly that exactly that's it, that's yep. it. You
2: exactly. there
6: you go and so 385 is about as hot as i want to see it that's
2: pretty good yeah, that's, yeah. That'll work. yeah. don't you feel unburdened now <laughs> like you can go out and enjoy flying <laughs> you know
6: everybody and and my mechanic, right after the engine was done, and after I had it broken in, he said I'd be running 50 degrees rich a peak. Oh. So I was burning about 13 gallons an hour, and every time I landed, the side of the airplane looked like uh the chimney on our wood stove was on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
3: <laughs> I, 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 I just had this flash in my head that weird things happen in my brain these days. I, I said, I, I bet the mechanic's name is Dirty Harry. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
6: I sure appreciate you and thank you so much. I really enjoyed these podcasts.
0: Oh, awesome. We appreciate you calling. It was a good, good questions.
2: Love hearing that. Okay. Thanks, Lyle. Take care.
0: Take care. Bye now. Our next question is from Dwayne, who's stumped about his exhaust system. Go ahead, Dwayne.
4: All right. Well, I don't know if I'm stumped, but the the issue I have is I have a a lot of exhaust leak uh, where the exhaust feeds into the into the muffler, and it's on a uh, Lycoming O three twenty B two B on a Tri Pacer.
0: Oh, that's what I learned to fly it.
4: There. So the the question is, how do you how do you seal up some of that leakage?
0: Now, the last time I flew in a and a tripacer was like 1966 or 67. I was just a little younger then. Do you know what sort of? Y'all quit laughing. So,
2: <laughs> what sort of connector is there
0: from the muffler to the stack? Is it a clamp or is it a slip joint?
4: Uh, it's a clamp at the muffler. So. Oh, so. So each side's got a clamp.
0: Right. Yeah. If it doesn't fit, normally it's because. One of the two pipes is not perfectly round, or is expanded, and it's leaking. The clamps just hold the pipes together. You can is try. That, is
3: that like a V-band clamp?
0: No, it's no, a it's a, very it's simple. a two half two shells. Part,
2: yeah, clamp uh, shell.
0: It's got four bolts in it, and each. Oh yeah. Okay, I know. What yeah. But and are the pipes
2: underneath, Paul, are they slip-jointed underneath, or are they just um, a, the pipes butt up against each other and then they well, get clamped?
0: Well, one of the pipes will slip slightly inside the other. Yeah, that's not uh, a slip-joint, though. No, it's not a slip-joint.
4: Okay. Actually, that's not the type of clamp it is. Each clamp oh. is just a standard round clamp with the oh, pin with on it. with the pin in, in the middle with, with a the pole. drill hole.
0: Oh, yep. so it is a type of slip-joint.
4: So, yeah, the... the yeah the exhaust slips into the muffler and it's just a simple right. clamp there and we yeah. we just i just sent the uh I guess it's the left hand stack out for a repair and got it back so that all that is in good shape and the muffler itself only has about 500 hours on it it's it's in really good shape i guess i should should
3: how much is it leaking cuz typically those slip joints will leak when they're cold but they tighten up when they're hot so you you'll see some leakage but it isn't really well, I
4: was wondering see. about that, but sh- you can see where there's evidence of it leaking, you know, oh. after you've flown. So uh, that's why I was like, uh, that's too much. I guess full disclosure, I'm also an AMP. So,
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> go ahead. So let me give you a thought. Do, are you using a, the, the back end of a vacuum cleaner to pressurize it and go around with soapy water?
4: I am. Okay. That's and- usually how I do my muffler inspection.
0: Right. It's perfect. It's way easier than using a magnifying glass and all that stuff. Are you getting bubbles at these slip joints or are you having a blowing leak? Uh,
4: it's more of a blowing leak. Oh. oh a blowing okay. leak is
0: a problem. Bubbles you can, you know, you're never going to seal it up perfect. If it's just bubbling, don't worry about it, but if it's blowing where it won't sustain a bubble, that's something you're going to have to pay attention to. You can get expanders that will the, for the pipe that's on the inside, you can rotate an expander around and enlarge its diameter. You only need like a thousandths or so. If you go too far, you can't get the thing in. So you can experiment with that uh, to get a better fit.
3: Is it it's safe to use those things? It won't it won't cause
0: the thing
2: to crack. Won't crack anything? Yeah. Well,
0: I mean, you're you're just barely. We're we're only talking a thousandths or two. Any more than that, and they won't go together.
2: You expand it. More
0: yeah, yeah.
3: You don't Just, put the thing in and then put a torch
0: around you know, it. Right? No, as yeah. soon as you do that, it, it's going to be out of round <laughs> and all kinds of problems. Is it,
2: is it possible his repair came back out of round and that's causing the problem?
0: No, it's more than likely the repair came back and the pipe is a slightly smaller or- diameter. Yeah, yeah. And they, the muffler has grown over the 500 hours, so it didn't grow with the pipe. The muffler yeah. grew, and then he changed the pipe, and now the two don't fit. So the expander is something you, it's like an automotive.
2: Uh, yeah, I've never tool. heard of that.
0: I was trying real hard not to say automotive. Oh, okay. But, uh It's yeah. a
2: NAPA Air Parts, National National Airports, Aviation yeah. Parts Association. There you go, yeah.
0: But you you have to be really careful about using these. I mean, yeah. as as Mike yeah, to, and Colleen mentioned. It's like, it's like a
3: spark plug. If you go too far, it's... It's too far.
0: Yeah. It yeah, you don't want to ruin it. So yeah, you just want to barely, barely swell it, and you'd be amazed what a difference it makes. Yeah. So swelling, expanding is probably too harsh of a word. We'll we'll say swell.
4: All righty. Well, I guess we'll pull the exhaust and give that a give that a try.
0: Yeah, and plumber's tape won't help. So don't. Yeah. Use that. <laughs>
4: Yeah, no. You, you could you yeah. could fix
3: it with some no duct KB tape, weld, but then no. get it
0: back apart again. <laughs> the, the next guy's gonna uh, hate
3: you.
4: Uh, <laughs> so that'll probably be me. So I don't uh, don't <laughs> yeah, do that to exactly. yourself. Yeah, I don't need to create any more trouble than I've seen a lot of
3: high temp RTV on exhaust systems. That always drives me crazy. <laughs> yeah. <but>
2: oh wow,
0: <laughs> it's
3: not it's that. Like that like a de- desperation move. Yeah. Isn't
2: there some kind of lubricant that you're supposed to use on slip joints? Yes.
3: And, and sees, yeah.
0: Yep,
2: And it's a high temperature? It doesn't it run is. when it gets to? Okay. Oh, yeah. So. It runs
0: everywhere. And it smells yeah, and it's like, everything it's Like
2: else. N- nickel
3: antisease, I think.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, they won't well. help a leak. They would temporarily. You know, you could pack it on there while it's cold, and it would give you a great test.
2: For, yeah, a minute.
0: Until the next time.
4: <laughs> well, very good, then. We'll give that a shot and see if it works, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So I appreciate, <laughs> he I appreciate doesn't it. He sound real confident in this answer. He's, well. he's still guessing. <laughs> I don't blame you. Well, no, I, I, I was thinking along the same lines. I was hoping you'd have a something more definitive, <laughs> <laughs> but that'll that'll work for me. I, it's as good as idea of I've I've heard yet. So,
0: oh well, at least I'm on the top of the idea pile.
4: Well, yeah, exactly. So I, I expect nothing less from you guys.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you should. We can make give- them up with the best of them.
4: Give Paul's
2: Swedish pipe expander a try and see if that works. And (laughs) yours always. Very,
0: (laughs) very very minimal. Just just barely.
4: All right. Well, it sounds like you've done it before with some success. So
0: Yep. With with new piping, not old. Not old.
3: (laughs) Probably done it before with some success and also with some
0: failure, probably. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I've done it wrong more than most folks. That's I can tell you that. (laughs)
4: <laughs> All right. So, so Go Slow is the name of the game.
0: Yep. Just barely and only on new piping.
4: Okie dokie. Well, we'll, right. we'll do that and hopefully it solves the problem.
0: All right. Thanks for the call, Dwayne. Enjoyed it.
4: Thank you. Take care.
2: Bye.
0: Bye-bye.
4: Bye-bye.
2: Okay. Our next question is from Rowan, who is wondering when a nick becomes a pain. Go ahead, Rowan.
7: Yeah, I was thinking a little while ago, we're all trained when we do our PPLs to check for nicks as part of our pre-flight. But if you discover such a nick on your prop during pre-flight, how does one determine whether it is a go or a no-go decision for the flight that you have? Asked around our flying group a bit, and everyone seems to have a different opinion, and there doesn't seem to be any generally good guidelines on this topic like something similar to the OPA Safety Institute Failing and Exhaust Valves Guide, which is excellent the chart with all the graphics on. And here we in Australia, where I am, when you're away from an AMP, maybe in the outback where you're maybe three, four, five-hour flight away from the next laney or AMP, it's interesting to know when such a nick or from picking up on gravel strips especially become a safety of flight issue. And when it is okay to continue... So you can get back into civilization and have that prop looked at. So I was just wondering about your thoughts on that.
2: It's probably one of those things where you'd know it if you saw it, right? Isn't that what you were (laughs) going to say, Paul?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, in general, a rule of thumb for us, and so this is no better than the opinions you got from all uh, all the blokes down there, is if your thumbnail or fingernail catches in the nick, it's a nick. If it just you know, roughly goes over it, but it doesn't catch, it is probably fine like it is. Uh, but if your thumbnail will catch, then you need to do some sort of dressing on it. This is not a, a, a pilot thing to do, though. This is a mechanic operation. And in your world, let's see, you have a you have to have a propeller guy, right? So you have an engine guy, systems guy, electronics guy, airframe guy, and a propeller guy, or gals. That's just too too much calculating for me
3: you know the 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 problem with NICs is that, that that they create a stress riser and I think what's most important about the NIC is how sharp it is. If it comes to a sharp point at, at its apex, then it represents a pretty significant stress riser you know and, and if if I were in the outback, and I had a real sharp nick in the prop. I, I I would probably consider magically making it less sharp, and 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 then when you got to somewhere where a Lamy could look at it, then then he could dress it out properly. But but if 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 you can if you can round it out a little bit, that will that will reduce the hazard significantly.
2: So what tool in the airplane is he going to use? His nail file? I mean, it, actually, nail file to, would,
0: would probably work. Would
2: it work on the aluminum, you think? I guess probably, probably nothing. Probably, yeah. probably
0: a little,
3: a little
2: round file would
3: probably be the best yeah, thing if you to, to round out the bottom of a neck. But
0: do, do we really want to tell him how to do this? If, no, you know, we, we, <laughs> no, we no, to, but we don't want to be attached to this.
2: But, you know? but we should note, the, the FAA does have the FAA, which doesn't isn't relevant to you, but there are standards for um, repairing a prop by dressing these things out. And they basically say how much material you can take off of the propeller. Right. And, and it's I, pretty I, generous, actually.
3: I think it's AC 4313. <laughs> it is 4313. Has, has Chapter section 8, it, and... Section
2: 4, Repair oh, of Metal very Propellers. Good. <laughs> I got it here. I actually and, reviewed and, it.
3: And, and to dress it out properly, you actually have to take quite a bit of metal off because you, yeah, and, you, you, and you and there's, need to go like 10 times.
0: It's through. five to one on the leading edge and 10 to one on the face uh, or the back.
2: Yeah. I remember those numbers. There's actually a little chart in there that says if the repair has to be done at the tip, you can take more metal than if it has to be done closer to the shank. Um, so it talks about blade width and percent of blade width that you can remove. But, but I read, I'm,
3: I'm, I'm not proposing that a non-A&P no uh, take off significant amounts of metal, or uh, certainly not make the nick any deeper than it was i'm I'm just saying if it if if it's a nick with a sharp point in it it might be nice to make it not quite Smooth such a out. sharp point until you can get it to uh, to a mechanic
2: you know I used to love reading stories about outback uh, bush pilots up in Alaska, and the u s is outback. And uh, I was shocked to hear stories where a guy knows the plane over and dinged his prop and the prop was bent and he literally removed the prop and stuck it between two uh, pieces of wood or rocks and straightened it out because that's what you have to do to get out of there. And I, it's amazing what you can do to a propeller, right?
0: We didn't tell you any of this.
2: Yeah. Um, so I think filing a little bit of a, a nick is probably... Good, and and what, you know- Taking be, uh, the
7: sharp edge off you, know, or the sharp yeah. corner. Yeah,
3: it's the sharpness that really represents the, the, the biggest problem.
7: Yeah, how about nicks where I've had on a couple of occasions where you've obviously picked up a stone and it's basically taken half a moon shape. You could actually see the star, size of the stone that's hit the leading edge of the prop. So mm-hmm. I'm not talking inches here, I'm talking maybe two or three millimeters where you have the perfect half moon, but there's no yeah. sharp edge. I'm, then I'd leave it alone until you get it
3: to a mechanic.
2: Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that, that's, sometimes that's, you even... That's
3: a, that's a good nick. No nick is a good nick, but it's the <laughs> better kind of a nick.
2: You you even get nicks on the on the back of the propeller on the flat part of the propeller as well. And those also need to be dressed out. And then when they get dressed out, they should also be corrosion treated because you have bare aluminum there. But just to get home, sure, I think well I mean we
3: we all run into these situations where we have to make what I always refer to as battlefield repairs, you know, that are not not exactly authorized and not exactly kosher, but
7: you know, you have to do what you have to do. But you you make it safer and you get back to where you can do something properly about it, yeah.
3: And then if and then if anybody anybody asks you, you just you just picked up the nick right there when you (laughs) when you landed at the shop,
0: you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, I, I think we, we, we've we just gone into the danger zone.
7: That's that's his story and he's sticking <laughs> to it. Uh, thank you very much, guys. Uh, thanks for all you do with this podcast. I think the uh, GA community really like uh, anyone that's got half an inkling for maintenance, really like what you do. So keep up the fantastic work, not only in the U.S., but all around the world. We enjoy it very much. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Rowan. Yeah, thank you for getting it. up early. <laughs>
2: Our next question is from Chris, who is weighing downtime versus temperatures. Go ahead, Chris.
8: Hey guys! So first of all, thank you so much. Love the uh, the podcast. It's really been great. I am an owner of a 172 Mike model. It's got an O320E2D in it that was uh, overhauled actually by a, a local shop. The uh, the place that I co-owned the plane with was rebuilding a lot of engines. It's got about 600 hours on it. Everything's functioning flawlessly. It's good. But since listening to you guys and uh, getting into full time ownership and a much more uh, mechanically minded Need that thing to last as long as possible. And so the question I have is this Um, I know, and I've heard you talk about, you know, ground runs don't really get the job done, but I have a full time job that is more than 40 hours a week. I don't get to fly as much as I want. I also actually have my flight instructor cert on the side. So some of my flying, I have to go fly in other people's airplanes instead of flying my own. And it seems like Mother Nature likes to weigh in and as soon as I get a day to go fly, you know, it's a bad day to go fly. And so is there ever a time or length of period where it does make sense to try to do a ground run or something? I live on the Gulf Coast in Alabama, so we're pretty corrosion prone. Um, And I try to fly at least once a week. And I would say that it's been a long time since it's been more than two weeks, but there have been a couple periods where I've been asking friends to go fly the airplane because I couldn't. And so I know a ground run theoretically doesn't get the temperature hot enough, but short of buying the expensive, you know, the desiccant systems or the heat systems, is there another option?
0: So just so Colleen understands, we were talking about dry heat, where she was doing some, it's not dry heat in the on the Gulf Coast. It's, no, I it's understand. really wet. Heat.
8: I've been to Houston. No, we, we don't have to take showers in the summer. You just That's walk right. out your front door, you're good.
0: A little soap, yeah. you're fine. Yeah, Houston's pretty decent compared to if you're really on the Gulf Coast.
8: Really? Oh yeah, my yeah. Gosh. Houston, uh, Jack Edwards Airport. We're seven Jack miles. Jack Edwards. Uh, yeah. Or no, not even seven miles. One mile north of the coast. I've, I fly out of Foley as well, which is seven miles north. So
0: that's that's some wet air.
2: I still don't think ground runs is your answer. I'm. I mean, I understand you're worried about corrosion, but I think the ground run would do more damage than good.
3: The, the problem is every time you run the engine, it, you generate a big slug of water. Because it's just a byproduct of combustion. When you when you combust hydrocarbons, what's left is H two O and C O two. And most of the H two O goes out the exhaust in the form of steam, but some of it gets past the rings and, and winds up in in the uh, in the crankcase. So you're generating moisture every time you run the engine. And if if you're not getting it hot enough to boil off that moisture then then each time you do a ground run you just put another slug of moisture into the engine to be honest with you if i if i was based where you were and i was worried about periods of disuse i i would i would spring for for a for for an engine saver a dehumidifier and just hook it up to the to the engine yep it's the easiest easiest way to solve the problem
8: That sounds good. So as a follow-up question, I mean, is there a, I I know we say once a week, how long is too long? How long is it too long to sit?
3: Well, if you're flying every couple of weeks, I don't think you have much to worry
2: about. Yeah, I think that's okay. A month is getting too long, but a couple of weeks would be fine, two to three weeks.
0: Yeah, but a dehumidifier helps a lot. And and don't pull the prop through either. That's not going to do any, matter of fact, it's going to do bad. It's not going to move any oil. <laughs> it, well, it, well, it it sort of moves, moves oil because it scrapes it, it off to cam to cam it scrapes the camshaft. It scrapes it,
2: yeah.
0: Yeah. So yeah, don't, don't turn um, and and
3: I would I would I would definitely uh for sure use Camguard too because it it's got some good corrosion inhibitors in it.
8: I really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Good. Well, good to have first, you, Chris, good
2: question. And and even though you're not flying as much as you'd like to, don't forget to change your oil regularly because that's going to help your engine as well.
8: Just yeah, it's every mode. thirty thirty to thirty five hours. And and even with me not flying it as much, it's that's still happening within every couple of months. Okay, that sounds yeah. perfect. Throw a little can guard in there when you do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you made a believer. The uh, <laughs> the 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 maybe or maybe not, Marvel will will switch over. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No okay. guy.
2: Thanks for calling, Chris. Take care.
8: Thanks, guys. bye -bye. See you,
0: Chris. So
2: that's a wrap. What did we get right? What did we get wrong? We'd love to hear from you. Most importantly, keep sending us those tricky questions and try to stump us. Send us your questions and comments to podcasts at aopa.org. Fly safely this summer, have fun, and hopefully we'll see you at Oshkosh.
3: See ya. Bye, everybody.